Now, last week, we, we looked at God's omniscience. You remember, and all of that is online if you weren't here, namely that God is knowing. And we took a little time to walk through that He knows all of our thoughts, He knows all of our actions, and He knows all of our needs. And we talked about the expanse of His knowledge. And we noted there that for David, he was not running from God in the context of his enemies in verse 19. But the omniscience of God was a reason to praise God. Look at verse 6. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. He said, I cannot obtain, attain to it. In other words, it's so glorious that he just burst out in praise. And really, that's what God's character should do. It should lead us to praise. But this morning, not only is he all-knowing, but he's present everywhere. In fact, the word omnipresent, you're not going to find that here listed as such. It's just a way that Bible teachers classify that truth. He's all-knowing. We call that omniscience. And here, he's omnipresent, present, of course, Just built combination word means here, close to. And when you add the prefix omni to it, it just declares that God's complete essence, if I said essence, we just simply mean his being is fully present in all places at all times. So I don't know when it comes to your view of God, how you view him, how you see him, how you understand him. It's important to have an accurate view and picture of God as revealed in the word. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, you are worshiping in ignorance. He said, you have an inscription. Remember that phrase? To the unknown God. And so I don't want us ever as a church to have an inscription to an unknown God I want us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And you know, when you really think about it, if you're visiting today, the whole purpose of the church is to explain the character and ways of God manifested through Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. What other reason would we be here? What other reason would we teach our children? Now, I did play a game of dodgeball, guys versus girls in between the service. That's fun. They get a little break from what they've learned all morning at 9 o'clock. But we're here to learn truth and hear the omnipresence of God. That is to say that God knows no limits, if you will. It is to say that he is infinite. It is to say that he knows no bounds, that he is measureless, That when you think of the character of God, you can't contain him. And in that sense, there is no limit to his presence. As I said, he's fully present in all places at all times. Now, Grace Church of the Valley, sometimes in the Bible, God reveals himself certainly at specific locations. You got to stay with my argument. I'm going to build an argument. You have to think with me this morning. I'm not going to pepper my application in the middle. I'm going to save it to the end. So stay with me on this argument. But sometimes God reveals himself in locations. For example, um, I'll just throw some of these out. Job 1.12, the Lord said to Satan, remember when Satan came into the presence of the Lord, he said, behold, God did all that he has is in your power. God said to him, only do not put forth your hand on him. Job 1.12. And then it says, So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So God's localized in that case. This is not, it's giving us a picture. Satan came into the throne room and he's localized and he went out from the presence of the Lord. I think I'm just giving these to you to say God was manifesting himself on a throne room, but you can't contain God to that throne room, and that will become clear. Do you remember in the book of Genesis, in 3.8, after Adam and Eve had sinned, they heard, this is what it says, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And it says that the man and his wife hid themselves from the, what? The presence of the Lord. Now, you're thinking, what is that presence? Well, no doubt that is the Shekinah glory of God. You say, what's the Shekinah glory of God? The Shekinah glory was a physical presence or a manifestation of God often seen in the Old Testament by way of a pillar by fire by night and a cloud by day. Do you remember after they had built the temple, it says that the priest could not minister because the cloud came in. What is the cloud? The cloud is a physical manifestation of the presence of God. Now, when I say that, let me just say this, and maybe I should say this. God doesn't have flesh and bones as you do. God, according to John 4.24, is a what? As a spirit. He's immaterial. And so when you have these touch points that Satan left from the presence of the Lord, you have a manifestation of his presence, but God's just accommodating himself so that people would know that they were directly in his presence. There, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. It says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, that Cain, after he had murdered his brother, went out from the presence of the Lord. But I just want you to know that God's manifesting himself, but he can't be contained to one place. So God at times would do that, manifest his presence that was localized. But the truth of scripture, and we'll look at that in just a moment, he fills the heavens. Beloved, do you remember, and certainly you do, if you were here in our exposition of the book of Jonah, that it says in Jonah 1.1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And remember it said, arise, he's a prophet, you remember, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. And so God told Jonah, the word of the Lord came to him. I want you to get up, arise, I want you to go to that city. But you remember, Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah didn't like that city. Jonah didn't like those people. The city of Nineveh was populated by a group of people, do you remember, called the Assyrians. And so he, he didn't want to go. God told him, listen, I want you to go east. And Jonah, if you will, went down to Tarshish and he went west. And then it says this in Jonah 1.3 that Jonah rose up from Tarshish or rose up to flee to Tarshish. We were there last year on our Israel tip, trip right on that coast. And it says he rose up to flee to Tarshish. He wasn't going to Nineveh east. He goes to Tarshish and it says... He rose to go there to flee from the presence of the Lord. And you say, how can he flee from the presence of the Lord? Well, he can't. But as the word of God was spoken to him, he thought, I'm not going that way. I'm going the opposite way. And he sought to flee from the presence of the Lord. So it says that he went down. Actually, this is where he went to Joppa, which is where we were. And he found a ship which was going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and he went down into it to go to them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It says it three times right there. He's running from the presence of God. Tarshish, beloved, you remember, was in the exact opposite direction of the place of Nineveh. But as I mentioned here, even though you've got those places where he's manifested, God is present everywhere, right? He is, he is not like us, don't picture him like you, in a physical dimension. He's in a spiritual dimension, if you will. He's without form. He is, as the scriptures say, invisible, okay? You say, well, I, I don't know, Pat. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. John 4.24, he's a spirit. 1 Timothy 1.17, you remember that, that statement? Now to the king, we sing a hymn of that. Eternal, immortal, what does it say? Invisible. So this comes into his omnipresence. You think, how can he be at all places at all times? In this way. He is a spirit. 
And as a spiritual being, he cannot be contained in one place. And again, we're body-bound creatures. We could never be. Sometimes we'd like to be in two places at once, but God is not limited as we are. This is what we call, this is a pretty big word, but you would understand it. This is what theologians call the ontological presence of God. And ontological is just the being of God. The essence of God. It is the presence of God. Because he's immense, you can't contain him. Because he's a spirit, his spirit pervades, well, all of the world. But if you want a definition of it, let me take it to this. That one theologian said, and maybe this is my favorite. It's by a guy by the name of Bavink. He said, God is present... At every place with his whole being. That's it. So when you think about God, parents, when you're teaching your children, grandparents, when you have a moment to pass truth into those grandchildren, it is this. He's present at every place with his entire being. That's what it is. And we'll look at this in a moment. But Burkhoff, one of my favorite theologians, said that the omnipresence of God is that perfection. And the, sometimes we call the attributes perfections. But he said that perfection of the div- divine being by which he, I like this phrase, transcends all spatial limitations and yet is present in every point of space with his whole being. Now, when you think of this truth, okay, it doesn't just include the character of God, okay? I mean, I could, it, it certainly is, but of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you. What does it say? Forever. He's with you. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So God is not only present in every point of space with his whole being, but if you're a believer, everywhere you go, the spirit of God dwells within you. In fact, he said that he will raise and give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Three times in Romans 8, 9 through 11, he says that. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is, what? In you, whom you have from God and not your own. So listen, beloved. God is present at every place with His whole being. But the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And then Jesus, of course, said in the Great Commission that I am with you, what? Always. And so when we discuss the attributes of God, we are affirming God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know this, beloved, there is one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now just for a second, before we dive into Psalm 139, God is, he's not diffused through space. Like uh, a little of God here and a little of God there. That's not what the scripture tells us. He is present in every point of space with his whole being. In other words, enough to say that his presence is utterly inescapable. And listen, you don't think I'm just talking for us. His presence is utterly inescapable for an atheist. I don't care what they say. They can run from him, they can hide from him, but they know the truth in their heart and the quietness of their own heart. They can't run from him. You say, Scott, what's the scriptural support for this, this doctrine? Well, we'll look in a moment at 139. I don't want to take you too long here, but Isaiah 66, 1. Do you remember that? In fact, turn there. Let me show it to you with your eyes. Isaiah 66, 1. In fact, it's a, it's a grand statement. I never really understood this when I was a little boy reading truth, or at least a young teenager. 
Remember that in the one to whom the Lord looks, who's humble and contrite and so forth. But it says this in 66.1, the Lord, or thus says the Lord, heaven is my, what? Throne and the earth is my, what? Footstool. You kind of, you say, what do you, what do you mean? It's in his, well, his throne is in the heavens. It's anthropomorphic language. And the earth is his, what? Footstool. In other words, it's not that he's that ginormous, but, you know, we're, we're just talking. He doesn't have flesh and bones, but he's giving you an anthropomorphic expression of understanding his, his immensity. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Look at 66.1. What is the house that you could build for me and what is the place of my rest? Remember, they were trying to build a house for the Lord. You can't build a house for the Lord because you can't really contain the Lord. Look over next book at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, you have this marvelous statement on the omnipresence of God. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 23, he says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? And in this statement, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. And now this statement, underline it, do I not... Fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He fills it. In other words, I get it when Job left the presence of the Lord. I understand when Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Those are ways for us to understand that he was manifesting himself. But listen, he says there in 23, 24, I fill heaven. I fill the earth. In other words, you cannot limit God to a figure that is confined to heaven, sitting on a throne. He fills the heaven. He fills the earth. In fact, look back. I just want you to see this again at 1 Kings just for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. And I love this statement. You remember, they built this beautiful temple that at least at that point was one of the seven wonders of the world. Our, our new building is going to be wonderful, but this was one of the seven wonders of the world. Remember, and it was just exquisite, and there was thousands of people building this thing, and there was gold all over the place, and the Holy of Holies, and it took them years to build, and, and so forth. But remember, once they, 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 they finished it, it says in 827, 827 of 1 Kings, but will God, here's what Solomon prayed, indeed dwell on the earth? And you get the idea. He can't dwell on the earth. Now, he's present in every place, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? He says, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? In other words, you can't contain God. Now, to help us understand the fullness of his presence, I think Tozer's helpful here. Just imagine this. Here's a little illustration to help you grasp this. By Tozer, he said, God fills heaven and earth, okay? Just as an ocean, imagine this, fills a bucket which has been submerged a mile down. So let's get, you're in the ocean, you've got a bucket, you submerge the bucket, you send that bucket a mile down. Tozer said the bucket is full of the ocean, but the ocean surrounds the bucket in all directions. He said, so when God says he fills heaven and earth, he does. But heaven and earth are submerged in God and space is too. So look back now. That was all intro, sorry. Look back at Psalm 139, okay? Look back at Psalm 139, and I certainly want you to know as we come to this place and as we speak of the omnipresence of God, he certainly not is David expressing the thought of a pantheist. Okay, God is everywhere present, beloved, but he's not in everything. God is not subject to this earth, yet he fills every part of space with his entire being. Now look what he says as we go to the text. Where, you know that statement in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Stop there just for a second. Where can I go? Now sometimes when I was young I used to read that and think this guy, David, is running from God. But we said last week he's not running from God. I think he's just in a soliloquy here. 
And he's not like I'm trying to get away from him. Like, where can I go? Can I run? Can I hide? Can, I mean, I can't see you, but, but, but maybe you can't see. You know, he, he's not running. I just want you to know that. I just think he's just talking. Even if I wanted to run, I couldn't run. And even if I wanted to get away, I, I couldn't get away. And, and such knowledge back in 6 is too wonderful. So he's not running from God. He's actually, if you will, moving away from his enemies. And, and I think he's just speaking out loud here. But understand, don't read into the context that you've got young David fleeing from a God that he's seeking to run him from. Look at verse 17. Far from that. He said, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. Oh, they're precious to David. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's look at four insights into God's omnipresence that will change your life, okay? And I certainly mean every word there. Change your life. Listen, your view of God will tell the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Young moms, your understanding of the character of God will be the greatest thing in shaping the life of your children. Fathers, your understanding, grandfathers, pastors, how we conceive and think of God is the most important thing about us. And certainly, many people live in ignorance of his character, and that's why we don't want to. That's why we're doing men's equippers. That's why... Pastor Shea is leading the young people, junior high and high school, at 9 o'clock this morning regarding his character. But let's move through these quicks. Four transforming insights into God's omnipresence to change life. Number one, his presence fills the heaven above. It fills the heaven above. Look at it in verse 8. He says there, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. In other words, David is just going to take these categories and he says, number one, his presence fills the heaven above. And if I ascend to heaven, he's there. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean a couple of things. It could be that David's just saying, if I go up, okay, if I just go up to the heavens and I go into the physical heavens, your presence is there. It could be that he's trying to capture maybe heaven as the abode of God, as that place where believers go. Uh, but I don't know if either one of those is the point. The point is, he says, if I go up, if I, if I go into the heavens, it says there in verse 8, you are there. We understand this. I don't think any of you would think that he's not there. David just says, God is there in the heavens. But he said, look at in 8b, he said, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So his presence, number one, fills the heavens above. And secondly, second transforming inside his presence is manifested in hell below. Now we're reading from the ESV. It says there in 8b, certainly as we read it, if I make my bed in Sheol, if I make my bed in hell, he says you are there. Now what does that mean to make his bed in Sheol or hell? Well, you can understand it a couple different ways. It could be that heaven, David was just thinking, if I go to the heavens, he's there. It could be that if he makes his bed in the depth of the earth, which is what some people believe, that he's not talking anything more about going into the center of the earth. In other words, he, as he's praying, as he's t- thinking, as he's talking about God, he's saying, even if I was going to dive into the ground, maybe one could get away from God. But no, God is there. There's other people who would believe, and I would be one of them, that he's talking about a place called hell as we know it. If I make my bed in hell, Sheol's another word for hell, okay? And, and David would say, even if you go to, in that phrase, to that place called hell, look at verse 8. He says, you are there. You say, well, then in what sense could God be in hell? This is a very interesting thought. Look in your Bible over to the book of 2 Thessalonians just for a moment with you. Because whatever you conceive of hell to be, I think sometimes we say hell is a place where God is absent. Hell is a place where God is not present. Hell is a place where his glory is not 
visited and his power not seen. And as you turn to 2 Thessalonians 1, it alludes to that at the second coming of Christ, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, where it talks about inflaming fire, his second coming, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. See that phrase? In one nine, away from what? The presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. In other words, whatever hell would be, it's away from, verse 9, the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And so, in what sense is he actually, if I make my bed in Sheol, what does that mean? Look over at the book of Revelation, however, though. This is interesting. Look over in Revelation chapter 14. There, when the Lamb is depicted, and it says this in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, another angel, it says in 14, 9, a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, right, that's the mark of the beast, and its image, and receives a mark on his forehand or on his hand, mark of the beast, other ways described as 666, Verse 10, he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he, that person, will be tormented with fire and suffer, interesting, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the, what? Lamb. So you've got two different places. On one, it's away from the Lord and here in Revelation 14, it's in the presence of his Lamb. Listen, beloved, God is present in his judgment. Revelation 14. God is present in his wrath, and yet hell itself is also uh, relationally away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Both aspects are true. James Boyce said that one thing that makes hell so terrible is that it is run by God. It's amazing that people say it is. It's run by God. I've had people, I've shared that with you, who in telling them the gospel so listen, Scott, you can say whatever you want to say, but all my friends are in hell and that's where I want to go. I'm saying that what I believe David is saying is this. God's presence fills the heavens above. God's presence is manifested in hell below and there's an aspect of eternal destruction that is an awareness of the very presence of God that they had rejected all their life. So here it is. God is present in every place with his whole being and essence, but there are sometimes biblically distinction, dis, in distinctions his relationship with people. Obviously, his presence is there manifested in Revelation 14, but his nearness to you is relationally far greater, and we understand that. But I think David just says, he, you can ascend to the highest heaven, God's there. You can descend to the deepest pit of hell, behold, God is there. Listen, I would say to us, there is nowhere in the entire universe on land or sea or in heaven or in hell where you can escape from God's presence. Beloved, you understand this. We do absolutely nothing alone, ever. He not only knows, but he's present. Robert Raymond, the great Reformed theologian, said that God transcends He said, we've talked about this, all spatial limitations. But he said he is immediately and entirely present in every square inch of his creation. And therefore, everything and everybody are immediately in his presence. That ought to change the way you live. Listen, I'll just give you a word, parents. This is what you need to be teaching your children. Right, and I don't. I don't. I, I certainly don't mean that. I'm not even talking about exhorting them, like make them afraid. But if somehow they get to the age of 13, as you begin to raise them, and they don't have a proper view of God, they'll think nothing about doing something outside of your presence and do it right in God's presence. So as you raise your children, you're raising them uh, by the Spirit's control to have a healthy picture of God that you never do anything alone. You never go anywhere where he's not present. You could never tell a lie that he doesn't know. You could never conduct yourself in any kind of activity where he's not fully present. So here's what David says. His presence fills the heavens above. 
Secondly, his presence is manifested in hell below. Thirdly, his presence extends to the, to the corners of the earth. And I just, I don't know, I just call this east and west, okay? It extends to the corners of the earth. Go back to Psalm 139 if you're not there. And, and you've seen this phrase somewhere. It's a wonderful little metaphorical phrase. David just says, if I take the wings of the morning. Just stop there for a second. What, what does that mean? I think he's just capturing here the, the picture of the dawn and the rising sun and the dawn of the rising sun, you know, moving, if you will, at the speed of light over the eastern sky represented by wings. All he's saying is if I, if I take the wings of the morning, if I, if I just jump on that sun and I travel at the speed of light, what is it, 500 and... 86,000 miles per, what, second? You mathematicians, let me know if I got that right. Um, it just says, hey, listen, if I, if I go to heaven, he's there. If I go down into the earth, either to the center of the earth or all the way down into the hell, he's there. Or listen, if I just jump on the rising morning sun that's spreading over the sky to the east, if you will, and if I take that as wings, even there, even if I travel that fast... You are there. I can't escape you. But look, he gives a contrast to that. He says in verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell here, secondly, in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, the sea in Scripture is opposed to the morning light and the rising sun, which appears in the east. The sea in Scripture is often to the west. So here's what David is saying. He sought height of the heavens above. He seeks, if you will, and he's not running but he's just, he's just capturing God for us. He, he takes the height of the heavens above, depth of the hell below, east to the rising sun, then to the furthest corner of the sea in the west. It was impossible to escape God's presence by place. Listen, beloved, he fills the heavens and the earth. Listen, what we're talking about is God. This is infinitely more important than any football game today. Your view of God will shape who you are, young people. It will shape everything you do. In fact, look what he said, even if I did that to the east, to the west in verse 9. Look what he said in verse 10. He's not running. Even there, your hand will what? It's leading me. Even there, verse 10, your right hand will lay hold of me. And now, you, we just said, when you see phrases like that, Does God have a hand? How would you answer? Does he? No. He doesn't have a hand. So you say, well, then he's he's speaking of God and is leading in our life. And he captures it that even there, your hand. Now, we know that God doesn't have a hand. He's spirit. He's immaterial. He's invisible, but he's capturing the essence of God in his leadership of our life. Even there, your hand's going to lead me. Even there, your your right hand is going to hold me. And so his presence fills the heavens above. His presence is manifested in hell below. His presence extends to the corners of the earth, east and west. And fourth, his presence permeates the darkness. It permeates the darkness. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me will be night. He says, even the darkness is not what? Dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. In other words, his presence permeates even the darkness. In other words, you can't hide from him. And I'm not saying that we're trying to. But in many passages here and others, darkness is a picture of danger often. It's a picture of terror. Darkness, as the the wicked think, hide them from the sight of God. It's a cover. I I I shared yesterday um, (laughs) at the men's conference about being in a really dark place. Have you ever been in a place just super, super, (laughs) super dark? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's really kind of hard to get in a super dark place unless you're in an interesting place. And I was in an interesting place. When I was a young boy, 
uh, I don't know, a teenager. I was probably 13 or 14. And I was playing baseball in this league in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. I was playing in a, it, it was called Friedman Field. And often when you're young like that, you just play the game and then you just hang out after the game. And what we would do after the game is we just run and chase, you know, fly balls, baseballs that went out of bounds and you'd get a free snow cone. But if we get really bored, we'd lower ourselves down right where Friedman Field was. I don't, I don't think you have these here to these, where we live, to these big sewers, okay? Big sewer. Like the massive sewers. If you've been down to L.A. where when the water comes, the sewer just, the water's just raging. You have to be really careful. But this is probably the spring. So we'd lower our da- ourselves down in the sewer, okay? And then we'd walk down, and you could see us from the street. But then as we got down about a half a mile, there's these big, massive cylinders, like the guys that skateboard in them. And, but they weren't on a construction site. This is, the sewer has these pipes leading, and then we would go into those big round cylinders, and they're, they're about the, the, the size of me, okay? I mean, they're bigger. So you can get into these sewers, and as we begin to go back deep into those sewers, um, we had to walk with our baseball spikes, so it kind of created a little bit of a cadence. It was kind of cool. It was about five or six of us kind of going like this, and the reason we went like this, there was water running in the middle, So you had to be careful. You're in spikes. You can't run in there because if you run, you'll slip with your spikes. So you just had to kind of go like this, and we would just go into the earth, if you will. But it got so deep in there. Here's what I remember. It was like bizarre. It got so deep and then so dark into the ground that you could not see your hand in front of your face. And I just remembered sometimes saying, stop, 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 you guys. Don't break rank. And you couldn't run. I went like this, and I couldn't see my hand. I couldn't. I'm like, where is it? I mean, I did. It kind of scared me. Where is it? I, right in front of my, it's so dark down there. That, and so what happens, you couldn't see the guy in front of you. You couldn't see your hand. So then you had to hold on to the guy's belt loop right there. And then as we got deeper, I heard this weird sound. It went something like this. And we're just holding on to each other. What is that? What is that? And I had been down there a couple of times. Don't move, dudes. Those are sewer rats. Sewer rats crawling. Just making noise. So then you wanted to run. But I'm like, if you guys break rank, you're big. And so we're, we'd say, why would you do that? No reason. We were stupid, right? And so we're, but it was so dark. But then as we kept going, You say, well, why did you do that? Well, we did that for a reason. I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. But as we kept walking, light would come. Just still going the opposite way. And then a little shaft was there that you kind of had to crawl up, like almost spin up it. It just, and the shaft went up to the street corner, if you can see this. And so we went up to the street corner where the rain would run off down into the sewer. But again, it's spring, there's no water. And we got to the street corner, and I could see the cars outside, but they couldn't see us. And when they came to a stoplight, we used to just talk to them, and they didn't know who we were. (laughs) Sorry, that's what your pastor did. Hey, you with the cigarette, those things are bad for you. (laughs) Yeah, you. He didn't know where we were. We were down in the ground. We were in the sewer. It was the funnest thing. Hey, ma'am, your shirt looks really pretty today. Look at you, you know. And she didn't know where we were, you know, and then the, the passenger would be there. Hey, you don't look too happy. And he, again, we're in the, we're like in the, in the corner and they can't see us. And then we climb back and then we'd hear the sewer and then we'd want to run. We'd hear the rats. But I just remember is it was so dark at one point I couldn't see. Look at his point. Look at verse 12. Even the darkness is not what? Dark to you. The night To God's character, verse 12, is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In other words, beloved, you understand there is no way you could ever get around God. Okay? The height of heaven cannot transcend Him. The depth of hell cannot keep Him away. The speed of the rising sun can't surpass Him. The uttermost part of the sea cannot separate Him. And darkness as deep as the midnight can't 
not conceal him. He's, he's everywhere. He fills the heavens. He fills the earth. As one said, God is so high you can't get over him. He is so low that you can't get under him. He is so wide that you can't get around him. That's God. He's present, let me say it this way, in every point of space with his whole being at all times. For everyone. Seven billion people. Listen, not only does he know you're sitting and you're rising, not only does he know when there's a word on your tongue even before you speak, he knows those from afar, he knows past, he knows present, he knows future, but he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere present in every point of space with his whole being at all times. Said, so how should I live in light of his omnipresence? Real quick. Number one, you say, well, what's the... Takeaway here. Number one, it should comfort you in difficulty. It should comfort you in difficulty. That's the context here. David is running from his enemies and he's finding comfort and joy in the presence of God. You remember, beloved, Psalm 46 1 God is a very present help in time of what? Trouble. You think he's not there? He's there. Went and saw Steve Gilly. In our church, just struggling with gout. Just, just kills his knees and he's just in pain. But I'm just reminding him of God's goodness to him. That even in the midst of pain, God is present. Thinking of Isaiah 40, 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? You sometimes think it's hidden from the Lord. Your way's never hidden from the Lord. The psalmist said in 16.8, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is my, at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. Romans 8 says that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, there's nothing that and no place you can ever go where God is not. I text Darren Peterson some of these scriptures in the week and he wrote this back to me. He said... I have never felt alone or without him as hard as some of the days have been. And the truth is, he is never alone. You are never alone. He is with you. When you pass through the waters, he will be with you. It says in Hebrews 13, I will never desert you, nor will I ever, what? Forsake you. He's with you. My presence, he said to Moses in 33, 4, will go with you and I will give you rest. So listen, it ought to comfort you in trial. Listen, you may come in today under a deep trial, a deep strain. Listen, he knows. And not only does he know, he cares. And not only does he know and care, but he's present with you. You will never do anything in your life alone. In fact, is not one of God's name. Names, do we not say that he's Emmanuel, which means that he is what? With us. So it should comfort you in difficulty. Secondly, it should encourage you to pray. Okay? The Lord is near, it says in Psalm 145, verse 18. He's near to all who call upon him. Listen, you ever just think, well, I don't, does he know? Does he care? Does he see? Listen, he does. And listen, you have the freedom to go right into his presence to pray because he's near you at all places, all times, fully present with his entire being. It says in Isaiah 55, 6, to seek the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. So this doctrine should comfort you in difficulty, encourage you in prayer. Thirdly, it should remove fear of death. Fear of death. Maybe some of you are getting a little older and, or you got some sickness. I had a guy come up to me yesterday who has lymphoma, just diagnosed. And, and uh, I was just thinking of sweet Helen, though, at 92. I'm ready, Pastor. I'm ready, Pastor. I'm ready for the Lord to take me. Can you see Helen saying that? She just loves Christ. Deep roots in her heart of the character of God. Walked with Christ and Walter for all those years. And she just said, I'm ready. And Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art, what? With me. Everywhere you go, you don't have to fear death. And finally, and just lastly, this doctrine should challenge you to holiness. 
should challenge you to, to holiness. You say, well, Scott, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I think we understand that. Certainly the context is that he's, um, the context is he's not running from God. It's an encouragement to him in trial. It's an encouragement to pray. It should remove death, but it should challenge us to holiness. Remember when it said, and this just, I'm, I'm laughing, that Adam hid from the what? Can you hide from God? He hid from him. There is something about shame in sin, is there not? It says in 3.8, again, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. That's what sin does. It creates shame. But you can't hide from him. I shared yesterday that um, one time I had to go to a hotel where four Christian single people were there for the night and they were from a Christian college, and I had to go confront them. Somebody said, hey, uh, there's these people at a hotel, two guys, two girls. I don't want to say more than that. It's just a mess, though, okay? And so I pulled into the parking lot. I bought a guy, brought a guy from my basketball team. I brought the biggest guy, right? Because if, you know, if there's four of them, and, you know, I just, so I said, hey, I got to go. Somebody said, hey, this is what's going So I, I went there. And you say, well, why did you, why did you go there? I, I don't know. Maybe the honor of God's name. Maybe thinking these are young people who confess Christ and not living that way and they're out some hotel drinking. And so I remember I pulled into the parking lot and I looked up on the balcony and the two, I saw, some, I saw them. They're on the balcony and they saw me. My eyes met their eyes and, and uh, they just ran into the room and, shut the door and just slammed the door. So I got out of my car with the center of my basketball team, 6'8", 240. And uh, I went up and I knocked on the door and I said, I know you guys are in there. And they're just embarrassed. They're just, they're just, uh, you know what I mean? What are they caught, kind of red-handed? Uh, they, they saw me and one of those girls was supposedly my prayer partners, which always kind of has an extra sense of like, ah, she's a prayer partner. I don't know why they matched guys and girls up as a prayer partner. And so she just, I said, open the door. And finally the door opens and she just in tears. There's just alcohol on the floor. Just, I mean, what, what can you say? Just, I mean, and, and I just see the girls, but the guys aren't there. I'm like, where are they? I mean, it's just a little hotel room. It's just, where's the guys? And I go, guys, where are you? And I just, I can see it as many years ago. They were in the back. And I started walking towards the back. And they were in the bathroom. And they were in the bathroom with the light off. And they were in the bathroom with the light off and the door cracked about this much. I go, dudes, would you get out here? So the door opens, and they kind of come out like this, you know. And I just, I guess, you say, why did I tell you that story? It's a small thing that I saw him. It's a small thing. It's a greater, grander, glorious thing when we do nothing ever outside of the knowledge and the presence of God, right? That's the issue. But if your view of God is that he can't see and he doesn't know and I'm going to get away with this, you may think you're getting away with it, something from people. But God knows everything about us. And I just think when I look at this doctrine, not to like scare you, it should produce holiness in us, don't we? Have you guys ever heard the account that ostriches, did you know this? Bury their head in the sand. And so I just want to encourage you, church, don't be, a, don't be an ostrich. You say, well, why do they do that? They bury their heads in the ground when danger approaches because the ostrich actually thinks because they can't see you that you can't see them. And then the predator comes and just eats them alive. I just think some people live that way. Some people live that way. And I remember one time there was a guy in my church. I probably shouldn't tell this story. You probably never want to tell me anything. But can I tell you this story? The guy in this church, in my church, he said, Pastor, I really want you to keep me accountable on personal purity. I go, oh, no, no. He goes, no, he said, no I want, I'm, I'm dating her. I knew this couple. I say, you don't want me to keep you accountable. He's like, 
You don't? I go, no. I said, because if you ask me that question, I'm going to keep you accountable. Oh, no, pastor. I, 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 look, I'm giving you an out. Go ask somebody easier. Because if you ask me, I might be in your kitchen. And if you ask me, I might ask you. He goes, no, no. I think he was fired up. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I, so I did. So I'd see him every week. I wasn't even meeting with him. I'd see him at church. I said, hey, how's it going? Oh, good. We're doing good. Another week went by. Hey, how you doing? Good. And then about the third week, I said to him, hey, come here. How you doing? How's your purity going? I told you I'd ask you. He goes, ah, ah. I, I, he was hesitating a little bit. So he started to walk away, and I called him. I said, hey, and I called his name. I don't want to say his name. It'd go all over, right? Um, I called his name, and he turned around, and he looked at me, and I looked him straight in the eye. I said, just tell me right now, are you lying to me? He said, no, I'm not lying, but you know how the story goes. Monday morning, he called me. Pastor, I was lying. And, he, and you know, I said, well, hey, brother, let's pray. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's confess. Let's figure out. But my, you say, why did I tell you that? You think because I didn't know that God didn't know? I've seen people be in a, an accountability group and lie straight through their teeth to the people they're accountable to. And I'm not saying accountabilities aren't good, but I know people who are in accountability groups and they're, they got the wool pulled over everybody's eye and they lead a double life. But I'm just saying this to say this, we never do anything outside of the knowledge and presence of God. I think it ought to make us more holy, amen. Adam hid from God. God knew God was there. Cain murdered Abel. He thought nobody knew, but God knew, and God was there. Achan went in, hid the money in the tent. He thought nobody saw him. God knew God was there. David and Bathsheba, he thought nobody knew, but God knew, and God was there. It's interesting, finally, just as we finish, 2 Samuel 12, 9. I don't know if that comes up on the screen. Is that there? I've been way out of... uh, Order. Do you guys see that back there? There it is. Remember when Nathan, I always call him the bony prophet guy, <laughs> looked at, at David. He said, why? He said this to David after Bathsheba. Have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his, what? Sight. All of our sin, all of our life is before a holy God, and it should shape the way that we think. Maybe the next slide. Do you remember this? Against you, David, remember, in confession with Bathsheba to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your, what? Sight. He thinks nobody knew. God knew. I'm just saying to all of us, it shapes our life. You can't get away. I mean, even today, as I speak, some of you may be lying to your parents. You can lie, but God knows you're lying. I know people who did that. They'd say, oh, Dad, Mom, Dad, I'm going to the football game on Friday. And they don't go to the football game on Friday. They go out and hang out with their friends on Friday. And sometimes girls with dudes, they shouldn't. Be, but you, you, God knows. I just, I just think the shaping and the foundation of this will change everything we do. It will make us more holy. Here's four insights into God's omnipresence, amen, that will change your life. 